All right. Jeremiah chapter 40. Just give you a bit of background before we start reading this. So, if you guys remember Daniel, <coughs> Daniel the prophet, Daniel the young man who became an old man who was put into the lion's den, that same guy, right? At around the time that he was born, there was a prophet named Jeremiah. And when that prophet was a young man, God gave him a word to speak to the people and he said to the people of Jerusalem at the time, the king of Babylon is coming against you as a form of judgment from God. He will destroy the city, he will tear down the walls, he will take everything that's valuable and precious in the temple and he will take you captive. And this captivity will last for, I'm tempted to say 70 years, but don't quote me on that. And while Jeremiah was a young man, and just as Jeremiah began his ministry, Daniel would have been born. Okay? So now here we're kind of at the point where Jeremiah's prophecy that he made a little while ago actually came true. The king of Babylon invaded Jerusalem, took all the people out of it. Daniel would have been one of them, by the way. So at the same time, they're both alive at the same time. And the king of Babylon actually left this little group of people, this little remnant, Okay, the poor, the lame, the, like just not the, the greatest people left in the land. Okay, the ones who couldn't really travel or be taken captive to Babylon. Tiny group left them. And he left them under the care of this dude named Gedaliah. Okay, this guy named Gedaliah, he was, he would have been just the king literally picked him. He's like, okay, you're a prince in the house of Israel. You can take care of these people. You stay. I'm not going to capture you. You're going to take care of my interests for me here in the land of Judah, here in Jerusalem. Now let's go to verse, um, let's say, 6. Verse 6. Just bear with me, all right? Jeremiah was captured with everybody else that was captured to go to Babylon. And... Um, the captain of the guard of the king of Babylon said to Jeremiah, you know what? The word that you spoke about this country was actually from the Lord, and we recognize that. So you know what? You're a prophet for God. You are the person who the Lord has appointed. You can do whatever you want. If you come with me back to Babylon, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to make sure that you're fine, and the captivity isn't going to be hard on you, and you're going to be free to do whatever you want. And if you stay here, you'll be free to do that too. It's your country. You can help the people who are ruling. It's all great. Jeremiah chooses to stay. So it says this. So Jeremiah went to get Eliah, son of Ahikam, at Mizpah and stayed with him among the people who were left behind in the land. And when all the army officers and their men who were still in the open country heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, as governor over the land and had put him in charge of the men, women and children who were the poorest in the land and who had not been carried into exile to Babylon, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, Son of Nethaniah, I want you to pay attention to his name. Pay attention to his name. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, Johanan and Jonathan, the sons of Kariah, Sariah, son of this guy, the sons of Ephi, look, a lot of names, alright? The army had been scattered once the Babylonians invaded, and they'd been out kind of all over the hillside of 
um, the country. And as soon as they heard, okay, people have been captured, the army has been defeated, they heard that, get, uh, that the king set up this guy to take care of the people. They're like, all right, kind of, we've been defeated, we're just going to go back to the land. And so they all joined him, right? The first person to join him was this dude, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, verse 40, uh, uh, verse 8 in chapter 40, right? Now let's go down to verse 14, verse 13. says this, Moreover, Johanan the son of Kariah and all the army officers still in the open country came to get Eliah at Mizpah and said to him, Don't you know that Balas, king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, son of Methaniah, to take your life? Hey, Eliah, this dude is an assassin. The first guy who came and joined you after the war was over, this dude is an assassin. You hearing me, Gedaliah? This dude is an assassin. Don't you know that Balas, king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, to take your life? It's not like the purpose of what this dude was doing there was vague. Okay? Just pay attention because the story will unfold. But Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, did not believe them. That was his first mistake. Then Yohanan, son of Kariah, said privately to Gedaliah in Mizpah, let me go and kill Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he take your life and cause all the Jews who are gathered around you to be scattered and the remnant of Judah to perish? Now you have to understand, Israel had enemies. And as soon as they realized, okay, they'd been defeated and the only, one, the only ones left in Jerusalem are this tiny force of the poorest and the weakest. We're going to go and attack them and finish them off. This is their leader. We're going to send an assassin to kill him. And as soon as that happens, the entire countryside will be scattered and there will be no one to lead them. We'll be able to defeat them and take the city very, very easily. So verse 16, But Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, said to Yohanan, son of Kariah, Don't do such a thing. What, are you, what you are saying about Ishmael is not true. So this guy's in denial. Let's go to the next chapter and actually see what happens. Alright. In the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, who was of royal blood and had been one of the king's officers, came with ten men to get Eliah, son of Ahikam, at Mizpah. And while they were eating together there, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him, got up and struck down Gedaliah, son of Achim, the son of Shaphan, with the sword, killing the one whom the king of Babylon had appointed as governor over the land. Ishmael also killed all the men of Judah who were with Gedaliah at Mizpah, as well as the Babylonian soldiers who were there. The day after Gedaliah's assassination, before anyone knew about it, 80 men who had shaved off their beards, torn their clothes, and cut themselves came from Shechem, Shiloh, and Samaria, bringing grain offerings and incense with them to the house of the Lord. And Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went. And when he met them, he said, Come to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam. And when they went into the city, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and the men who were with him slaughtered them and threw them into a cistern. guy, get a liar. He hears about this dude 
Ishmael. A guy who he's known for months at this point. Okay? He's known this guy for months. He's known him by name. He sat down with him. He knows he's been told by someone why he's there. And you know what? There's compelling evidence that the king of the Ammonites would send this dude to kill him. Because the king of Ammon wants the land and wants to destroy the people of Israel. There's a huge conflict between the two countries. But he ignores it. And he says, you know what? I like this guy. What you're saying about him isn't true. He's come to support me. He was there as soon as I was set up as king and I took an oath before him and I said I'm going to serve the land and he said he would support me and he said he would be there. Why are you saying he's going to kill me? When I heard this over the weekend, the one image that came to my mind was this. Sin? Sin doesn't hide. Sin comes to you in the open. Sin comes to you by name. Sin comes to you with a purpose. But look at how this dude approaches. Even though you know all of these things about him and you just, you see the end in sight. You know what's going to happen. So he comes, he sits by the king, he supports him. And as soon as the king, this is an interesting point. As soon as the king, as soon as this guy get a line and comes to power, and has some kind of responsibility, the enemy sends someone to knock him down. The enemy sends someone to destroy him. As soon as you begin to move in the right direction with God, as soon as anything begins to happen in your life that resembles a walk and a relationship and a responsibility given to you by God, the enemy plans someone in the camp, waiting for an opportunity to destroy you. And so this Ishmael guy, he comes, he sets himself up, he's a prince, he's well known, he's very well known. And he comes into the camp and he spends some time with this guy Gedaliah and he earns his trust. To the point where after this guy is told, this guy has come to kill you, he doesn't care and he will not hear it. He doesn't even, he doesn't even think that that's a possibility. Right? If we go up please Daniel, all the way back to the top. Look what happened. 40, uh, verse 2, Ishmael son of Nethaniah and the ten men who were with him, oh no wait, at the end of verse 1, while they were eating together there, not only did this guy like trust him and like him, he said, alright, let's have some dinner. You've come to kill me. Nah, that's ridiculous. Nah, come on. This guy comes, this guy Ishmael, just think about it, comes to his front door, knocks, smiles, this guy, Gedaliah, opens the door and says, Come in. Come right through. Let's have some dinner. Isn't that insane? Just no awareness whatsoever, right? While they were eating together there, there's fellowship with sin. There's blindness to it to the point where there's fellowship with sin. Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, and the ten men who were with him got up and struck down Gedaliah, son of Ahikam. My Bible actually says after they had finished feasting in that verse. At the moment where you think, I've had my fill, I've enjoyed this time, I've enjoyed this conversation that we've had. I've been, I'm full. I've had a feast. I've had a feast with my assassin. I'm full. 
As soon as the meal is over and you begin to think, oh, rest, death. Instant death. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him got up and struck down Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with the sword, killing the one whom the king of Babylon had appointed as governor of the land. That responsibility, that beautiful thing that being given to you by God, that ministry, that beautiful walk, in an instant is shattered because of sin, because of the consequences of sin. Now, it didn't stop there. Because a lot of people will tell you, you know what? My sin just affects me. Hey man, if I'm smoking, it's my life. Nobody else is going to be affected. Hey man, if I'm doing this or that, if I'm lying, man, it's just, it's just me. I'm the one who's choosing to lie. I'm the one who's choosing to do this or that or whatever. It's just my sin. This ignorance, this blindness to my sin only affects me. The consequences on me. But is that true here? Ishmael, verse 3, also killed all the men of Judah who were with Gedaliah, as well as the Babylonian soldiers who were there. And then we read about a group of people who were coming up from a different part of the land to worship God. People who were eager. And this man goes out and says, oh, come to Gedaliah. Crying, weeping with tears, so excited to receive them. And as soon as they enter the city and the gates are shut behind them, they're all slaughtered. Your blindness to your sin will lead others to slaughter. This hit me so hard over the weekend. I know I'm not jumping up and down and speaking in the most exciting way right now, but I'm, I'm trying to impress on your heart a truth that is vital tonight. Get a lie and you, his assassin by name. What's the sin tonight? What is it? You know it. You know it. I know it. By name. Hey, it's this thing. As I'm talking, there's that thing in the back of your mind. You know what it is. That will destroy you. It's that thing. You know it by name. You've had fellowship with it. You've invited it into your house. You've invited it into your life. You've had meals with it. It's been in your camp. For months, for years. And it's sitting there to dine with you as a friend. And it's well known, it's not hiding, it's not creeping in the background. You know what it is. You know what it is. And it's just there, waiting, waiting till you finish your meal to kill you. <laughs> We're gonna wake up. <coughs> read you another story, a much more famous story than this one. Um, it's in the book of Judges. Let's open up Judges chapter 16. Spend the night with her. And the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. 
So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. And they made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. Are you seeing a pattern here? We'll kill him. A lot of dying happening. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So literally, what's happened here is, Samson walks out after doing this rubbish, right, of the city. There's literally, it's a castle, right? There's literally a giant metal gate. This guy picks it up from the bottom, tears it from its hinges, carries it to the top of a hill and just leaves it there. Just to prove a point. And walks off. But what happens? Verse 4. Sometime later, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. We've all heard of her. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See, if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him, so we may tie him up and subdue him, each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and show me how you can be tied up and subdued. Is she hiding? Hey, bro. Hey, Samson. Samson loves her, right? So she's just, you know, stroking her hair. Middle of the night, they're in front of the fire. It's beautiful. It's romantic, right? Hey, Samson. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be killed. And how you may be subdued and tied up. Tell me, Samson. This guy, Samson, was giving the Philistines who came to ask this of Delilah. An incredibly hard time. But Samson was in the time of the judges, where there were no kings, right before the kings of Israel. We explained this, I think, when we went through the Old Testament thing. Where God brought up special men in each generation to guide and to defend the people of Israel during the time when there were no kings, before the time of the kings, right? Samson was a very, very special one because he was consecrated from birth. He was set apart as something in a sect called the Nazarites, right? In a special, he was in a special relationship with God where he wasn't allowed to do a bunch of different things. Drink wine, touch dead bodies, and all this kind of... There were specific restrictions on him. And one of them was not to marry externally and do all this kind of stuff. Now, not only is he marrying externally, he's sleeping with harlots and prostitutes. and He's going the whole nine yards. He's doing the wrong thing. But at the same time, he is giving the Philistines an incredibly hard time. He's been given a responsibility by God to protect the people, right? Another man in a position of responsibility. So verse 7. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Just something ridiculous that he pulled out of the hat. Bowstrings. What the heck? Why? Like bowstrings, right? If somebody ties me with fresh bowstrings, that have not been dried, that are still wet, like spaghetti. Hey man, I'll become as weak as any other man. Now, just pay, pay close attention to the story, alright? And put yourself in the position of this guy. And just try to, just tell me, explain to me, what he was thinking. Then, verse 8, Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With the... Just 
hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. And so the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now. Tell me how you can be taught. So literally, right? Let me just explain to you for a second what's happened here. This guy, this girl actually, they're sitting together. She says to him, hey man, what's the secret of your strength so that somebody could kill you if they wanted to? Just hypothetically, please tell me, right? He tells her this crazy rubbish, right? That same night, he's asleep. Suddenly this girl yells and she's like, hey, the Philistines have come to attack you. They're coming to kill you. He wakes up, snaps the strings, and instantly scatters the Philistines, and they run away, right? Now, if I was Samson, I'd be like, what the heck? I was playing around with Delilah last night, and, and I told her something that, that could have been a secret. Had I told her the real secret, those Philistines would have, they actually came into the room. They were in my bedroom. They would have killed me. Why am I trusting this girl? What the heck is going on here? Why? That would be me, right? Let's continue on with Samson's story. Then Delilah came to Samson, You have made a fool of me, you lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely, securely now, with new ropes that have never been used, now make sure they're fresh, I'll become as weak as any other man. So what does Delilah do? So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Now, if I was Samson, I was playing with Delilah last night. I told her a secret again. What could have been the real thing? It was death. And suddenly I woke up to find that there have been dudes hiding in my room all day, waiting for her to do this. Suddenly they spring out and she says, hey, the Philistines are upon me and they're trying to attack me. Maybe I shouldn't tell this girl this stuff. That's me. <coughs> Let's continue with Samson's story. So verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, all this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be taught. Look at this girl. Is she hiding? You tell me. Is she hiding? Is she hiding her purpose? No. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So the loom is literally that big thing you see in like Cinderella where they put all the different threads through and then... They bring it down and they end up making a tapestry or a carpet or a garment or whatever, right? So it's like, okay, there are seven locks of my hair. Put them through, like, it's a very intricate process, right? Put them through the strings in the loom, right? Put a pin through them, bring the thing down. Like, surely you would notice that this is being done to you, right? Come on, bro. Come on, Samson. Wake up, man. And tighten it with a pin. And she called to him. Oh, let's read verse, uh, the rest of that verse. So while he was sleeping, surprise, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up from sleep, pulled up the pin of the loom with the fabric, and then she said to him, how can you say I love you 
when you won't confide in me. This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And I can comment on that, but I won't. When Delilah saw that he had told her, oh no, verse 17, so he told her everything. This is disaster. <coughs> so he told her everything. Now he's not playing. He's not playing anymore. He actually told her. No razor has ever been used on my head. Now remember that special relationship that he had with God? He was a Nazarite. One of the rules was that he would let his hair grow for the days of his life. And he would not touch the hair on his head with a razor. That was symbolic, an outward symbol to all the people of that type of consecration to God in his life and in his ministry, which he wasn't doing outwardly anyway. But that was the last living piece of proof that that was what God had put him there to do. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me. The strength being, obviously, his relationship with God. And the anointing that he has from God. And I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more. This is the fourth time. These men have been humiliated. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, listen to the language, on her lap, caressing him to sleep, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Ah, but this time is different. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They sent him to grinding grain in the prison. Here's where Brother David's favorite saying comes from. Sin will blind you, bind you, and grind you. That's the passage that it comes from, just in case anybody was wondering. For Samson, that specific sin was lust. And it is very interesting to me that the first thing that the Philistines do when they subdue Samson is they gouge out his eyes. Just like get a liar, but to a more, much more accurate picture, Samson is flirting with sin. He's flirting with it. He's playing cute with it. He's being caressed on its lap. He's being put to sleep by it. He's fallen in love with it. He's become so blind to the fact that its sole purpose is there to kill him that he is willing to go through this again and again and again. And for some reason, we stand looking from the outside in at Samson and we say, Samson, wake up! But he seems deaf to our cries. Hey, Samson, how can you not have noticed the first, the second, the third time that she's tried to kill you. She's tried to murder you. 
She's trying to end your life. She's given you, she has called your enemies into your bedroom, into your household, waiting with swords to subdue <coughs> and to kill you. How can you not have noticed? And then I thought about my own sin. I thought about how I invited it into my home. How I was caressed to sleep on its lap. How every time I tasted its bitterness, I said never again. But I was back again on its lap, being caressed by its charms. Never again. I know, I know this will kill me. I know this will destroy me. I know this has stolen the joy of my walk with Christ. I know this has bound me. I know this has blinded me from the wonderful will that God has for my life because I'm still groveling in a prison cell where I have been set free because the key has been in my pocket all along. Jesus broke the lock and he said, you are free. Once I was in a prison cell, and the gate was locked, and no matter what I would try to do, I couldn't get out. But after Christ, that thought becomes an illusion. Samson could have come to his senses at any moment and just left. He did something similar at town back. <coughs> he was with a woman for one night. He realized that his enemies were around him. They came in the night. What did he do? He left the house. Fought every single one of them off, broke the gates of the city, carried them on his shoulders, and put them on a hill. There is no lack of weakness. There is no lack of strength in this picture. He can do it. He can walk off. He's done it before. What is it? Hmm? What is it with you? What is it in your life? What is it that you seem to be so blind to that you know about? It's not hiding. You know what it is. It's not hiding. You're thinking of it right now. How long has it been in your house? How long have you fallen asleep to its singing on your lap? How long have you allowed it to do all these ridiculous things to you, to drag you through the mud, to call your enemies to the gate every night? verse. Proverbs 22 verse 3. I'm going to read you two verses. You know, I'm going to take it three verses. I'm going to read you three. The prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Very simple verse. What does that mean? It means if you're going along, you're driving along a desert road in your car, and you see a big sign that says, no through road, cliff ahead, five kilometers, you go, it's cute, it's like that, keep driving. Another sign, no through road, cliff ahead, four kilometers, that's alright, we won't run out of road. Sign is a hoax, it's not real. No, through road, three kilometers. Keep on driving. Two kilometers, one kilometer. 
what happens? The prudent see danger and take refuge. Samson, had he been a prudent man, get a liar, had he been a prudent, prudent meaning wise, would have seen the danger and taken refuge. But the fool passes on and is punished. There's a consequence at the end of that. At the end of that road, you fall off a cliff. I want to read you another one in Proverbs. Proverbs 6, verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Have to think about that as a, as a general principle of physics for a second. Fire is pretty. When I was a kid, man, you stare at a fire pit or a fireplace or whatever. Just look at all the colors, the blue intertwining with the orange, and, but it's not meant to be touched. Now this goes a step further. This guy isn't just touching the fire. Can a man scoop fire into his lap and not have his clothes be burnt? For some reason, when we sin, again and again and again and again, we just think, oh, it's pretty. The fire is nice. I'm going to put it into my lap. But it isn't going to burn me. I'm just going to admire it and enjoy it for a little while. And then I'm just going to scoop it right out of my lap and put it back where it belongs. And we just have this, this magical idea that this verse doesn't apply to us. Oh, I'm going to scoop it into my lap, but I'm not going to get burned. There's not going to be a consequence to Samson, look at Gedaliah. Hey, the assassin is in your midst by name. You know who this person is. And yet you're willing to open the door and say, come right in. Willingly. Have you lost your mind? Tonight, don't be this. You know what it is because you've been thinking of it while I've been speaking. You see the road sign again and again and again, and you continue to move forward. Now there's a consequence to that. Ephesians 6, chapter 11, please. Now. The Bible says, this is, this is my last point. I'm about to finish. The Bible says that we are in the midst of spiritual warfare in the New Testament. We're in a war. You wake up, you go to sleep, you're a soldier. You're in a war. Okay? Now it gives this, this picture. Eleven. Thank you. It gives this picture of old school style armor. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly, heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. The object here isn't even to conquer. It's just to stay standing. Just stand. You notice that? 
and having done all just to stand. Just imagine, right, an old school soldier on an old school battlefield. You've got the shield, you've got your helmet, you've got the shin greaves, you've got the arm greaves, you've got your belt, you've got your sword, and you've got your helmet. You've got your breastplate. Every area is protected. And as you step onto the battlefield, sword in hand, shield in hand, crouch, open-eyed, ready, you see the enemy approach. And as you see the enemy approach, you begin to move accordingly. He steps right, you step left. He walks forward, you take a step back. He swings, you parry, you block. That's how a soldier acts. A soldier is expecting, listen to me, a soldier is expecting to be attacked. He's on a battlefield. He's expecting the attack. I'm not blind to the attack. I'm a soldier on a battlefield. I'm in a war. The king is right there. My brothers are right there. The enemy is right there. I'm in a war. And yet, we walk onto a battlefield naked and drunk. The picture I just painted to you with the soldier in full armor, open-eyed, watching the enemy, ready to block, ready to return the attack. Imagine another one about 50 meters down to the right here, who is literally naked and who is literally on a battlefield doing this. Imagine the enemy who is still right there. Just because you're drunken, because you're naked, and because you're half asleep, it doesn't mean your enemy is. Your enemy is wide awake and his eyes are on you. And so the enemy sees this man who is naked and drunk, runs to him, sword drawn, and with one swing takes off his head. He doesn't think twice and he keeps on running to find the next one like that and take off his head. naked people staggering around <coughs> on a battlefield claiming to be soldiers. You'll get in your life. Are we awake tonight? Are we aware tonight that we're even in a battle? Or do you just wake up and go to sleep, do whatever you want and think, oh, that was a good day. A soldier <coughs> expects an attack. He expects it. He's waiting for it. He's, in fact, his everything that he sees on his own body reminds him of the fact that he's under attack. Hey, why am I carrying this sword? Oh, it must be because I'm on a battlefield. Hey, why am I carrying this shield? Oh, it must be because someone's shooting arrows at me. Unless, of course, you don't have any of those things. In which case, why am I on this battlefield? Oh, how did I get here? What's going on? What day is it? That's pretty good. <coughs> what do I want to say to him? If you're saved, you're saved. I just want to make that clear. 
Your eternity, the consequences of your sin eternally have been dealt with. But on earth you will suffer their consequences still. Just understand that. Whatever it is that happens here, if you smoke for 80 years and you get lung cancer as a result and you go, God, why me?
to the captain of the army tonight and just beg him for forgiveness and he will willingly and joyfully grant it. But he'll also give you the strength and the armor to fight with the next time it comes. And the next time it comes, you run to him again and you ask for it again. But tonight, let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the captain of our souls, Lord. You are the one leading this army, Lord. And right now, we are so weak. Lord, the walls are broken down. There are no more defenses, Lord. We've just, we've fallen in love with our sin and we've fallen asleep, Lord. And we're being stabbed again and again and again. And we're blind to it, Lord. We've lost all feeling. Lord Jesus, wake us up tonight, Lord. And by your Holy Spirit, convict and shine a light on all of those things, Lord. And give us the strength to overcome them, Lord. You've already set us free. Let us walk in your freedom, Lord. And show us that the joys that you have for us are so much more meaningful and beautiful and satisfying than the temporary lust of this world. Jesus, I commit myself and every single person in this room and every single person hearing this message to you. Lord, let us walk in your freedom, Lord. Give us the strength to stand in the day of the fight, Lord. Free us from these things, Lord. Take away the weights and the blindfolds off us, Lord, and let us run. No, let us fly with you, Lord Jesus. From tonight onward, Lord, we, we put a light on it, Lord. We throw it out, Lord. We, we just place ourselves in your hands, Lord. We just say, cleanse us from all we before you humble, Lord, we just ask you to take our lives as they are, Lord, to make of us soldiers for you, vessels of honor for you. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.